Welcome to The Randy Report. I'm Randy Slavacek, your host. I'm also the writer and editor of TheRandyReport.com, where you can find me every single day on the internet reporting on the daily news cycle in terms of politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. In this week's headlines, a bill to ban conversion therapy in Utah has a surprising outcome. Empire star Jussie Smollett gets more bad news. A Mississippi high school is trying to ban same-sex dates at prom. Folks are surprised to learn that the iconic Mr. Rogers may have been bisexual. And new music from country artist Cameron Hawthorne reminds of the romance of dancing in the living room. All that and more in this episode of The Randy Report. A bill in the Utah legislature aimed at banning so-called conversion therapy, HB 399, died an early death when the bill was gutted in committee. As I've covered many times here, conversion therapy is the highly destructive and dangerous practice of attempting to change a person's sexuality or gender identity through methods that have been denounced by major medical associations like the American Medical Association, the American Psychological Association, and the American Academy of Pediatrics. Utah Republicans had tried to insert an amendment that would allow professional therapists to talk about changing a teen's sexuality, but not promising to reverse it. Because you can see the difference there, right? Still dangerous. The new language apparently focused on banning practices that cause physical pain to a minor patient, as opposed to psychological pain. As a result, a sit-in outside the office of Utah Governor Gary Herbert happened, which resulted in an unexpected outcome. The Republican governor pinned a letter of apology to protesters for his Republican colleagues' homophobic behavior. In the letter to the LGBTQ community, Governor Herbert expressed his remorse and apologized to the protesters over the alteration of the bill. He wrote, I realize there is much I do not understand about the issues that LGBTQ youth face every day. I also believe you deserve to be heard, you deserve our help, and you deserve a future where you can feel safe, welcome, and loved in our state. He continued writing, We have had an enormous misunderstanding, and I am sorry. After promising to continue working on the issue of banning conversion therapy, Governor Herbert closed by saying, I am prepared to make sure we develop good policy that protects our LGBTQ youth. Great words, and certainly an unexpected outreach. While I commend the governor, I look forward to seeing what action actually comes out of this. In related news, The Georgia State Assembly has introduced its own legislation to protect LGBTQ youth in the Peach State. Currently, 15 states have successfully passed bills banning the use of so-called ex-gay therapy on LGBTQ minors. In a stunning turn of events, Empire star Jussie Smollett has been indicted on 16 felony counts by a grand jury in Chicago. Smollett was charged last month with felony disorderly conduct for filing a false police report on January 29th. 
Smollett had claimed he was attacked during a late-night food run by two masked men. The 36-year-old actor alleged the men beat him, put a noose around his neck, and poured an unidentified liquid on his head, all while yelling homophobic and racist slurs. Police later tracked down the two men using surveillance footage, who say Smollett paid them to stage the attack. Chicago's local ABC News affiliate says the grand jury returned two separate sets of charges. One related to Smollett's initial statement to the police about the alleged hate crime. The second set of charges are in regard to his follow-up interview with the police later that same day. ABC7 reports the new set of charges each carry a possible sentence of probation to four years. During a press conference last month, Chicago Police Superintendent Eddie Johnson said the actor initially faked a homophobic racist letter to himself. But when the actor didn't get the response he desired, Johnson said Smollett paid the two brothers $3,500 to stage the attack because he was, quote, dissatisfied with his salary. Stay tuned. Still developing story. A new report from the Centers for Disease Control indicates an almost 500% increase in the use of PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis, among gay and bisexual men in 2017. The data, presented at the 2019 Conference on Retroviruses and Opportunistic Infections in Seattle on Thursday, found 35% of gay and bisexual men at risk for HIV had begun using PrEP, up from only 6% in 2014. According to NBC News, the study was based on more than 8,000 interviews across 20 cities in the United States. The numbers also revealed the varying adoption rates among different ethnic groups. Among gay and bisexual men at high risk of HIV, 40% of white men were found to use PrEP, while only 30% of Hispanic men and just 26% of African-American men admitted to taking the drug. PrEP, also known by its drug name Truvada, has been found to be more than 90% effective in blocking transmission of the HIV virus during sex. The new report shows high levels of awareness of PrEP among gay and bisexual men. 95% of white men indicated they knew about the drug, as well as 87% of Latinos and 86% of African Americans. But in light of the government's newly announced Ending the HIV Epidemic, A Plan for America, which has a goal of reducing HIV infections by 90% by the year 2030, the CDC feels PrEP is still underutilized. One of the obstacles for people accessing PrEP is the high cost of the drug, around $2,000 a month for those without health insurance. Additionally, different insurance companies have wide-ranging policies regarding approving the use of PrEP. With those costs in mind, Congresswoman Bonnie Watson Coleman of New Jersey introduced the PrEP Assistance Program Act on Friday morning. The new legislation would create a grant program through the Federal Department of Health and Human Services to help cover the costs of PrEP medication, laboratory fees, outreach to inform the public about PrEP, and more. Yahoo News reports that students at a Mississippi high school were given attendance paperwork that was required to be signed before they could attend prom. 
The form contained language that specifically banned bringing same-sex dates. Students at Tremont Attendance Center in Mississippi were told to sign paperwork that included language stating that guests attending the April 26 prom must be, quote, of the opposite sex, end quote. That's pretty clear. The rule was emphasized twice, capitalized, and in bold letters on the two-page form and under a safety waiver that required student and parent signatures. I personally do not remember signing a form to attend prom when I was in high school. The language read, guests must be 10th grade to 21 years old and of the opposite sex. High school prom organizers that excluded those same-sex couples from the upcoming dance deny the rule was homophobic. The form was shared on Facebook by Jack McCrory, a Tremont graduate whose niece is a current student. With a bit of sass and sarcasm, McCrory wrote, from the open-minded and tolerant folks of the Tremont Prom Committee. Trey Weigel, the superintendent of the school, told local news station WTVA that his school district, quote, does not sponsor or endorse proms. If prom is being held, it is a private affair hosted by parents, since this matter allegedly concerns a parent, who is also a teacher, any activity that person may have done during school hours concerning a prom was outside the scope of employment, but is being investigated. According to WTVA, a parent involved with prom said the rule was an attempt at, get this, crowd control so students could not purchase tickets for unofficial dates. But as McCrory noted, that's not relevant to a person's sex. One current student posted on Facebook that the paperwork was passed out by multiple teachers in advance of an intercom announcement from the principal, which warned that students could not bring same-sex dates. But this is not homophobic, folks. Remember that. <laughs> The legal director of the ACLU of Mississippi, Joshua Tom, told Yahoo News, quote, Preventing same-sex couples from attending prom is discriminatory and unconstitutional. Folks were a bit gobsmacked this week over the news that Mr. Rogers, yes, the Mr. Rogers of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood on PBS, considered himself bisexual. An excerpt from The Good Neighbor, a biography by Maxwell King references a 1974 interview Rogers did with the New York Times and also a conversation with Rogers' friend, Dr. William Hirsch. In the Times interview, Rogers admitted he wasn't a he-man in the model of John Wayne. And in a chat with Hirsch, Rogers apparently admitted he had, quote, found women to be attractive and I have found men to be attractive. Now, before you get too concerned as to whether Fred was some two-timing cad on the down-low, never fear. Our hero's reputation is completely intact. According to King, Rogers was absolutely faithful to his marriage vows. In addition to his long-running popular children's television show on PBS, Rogers was a musician and a puppeteer and a Presbyterian minister. Over the course of his career, he was awarded 40 honorary degrees, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, and a Peabody Award. He was inducted into the Television Hall of Fame in 1999. Rogers died a few years later 
of stomach cancer in 2003. Having been born in the 1960s, I have distant but fond memories of my parents dancing in our living room on Saturday nights as they got ready to head out on the town. Social ballroom dancing was beginning to decline, but my parents still loved going to dance halls in our town of Fort Worth, Texas. Being so young, I never got to see them trip the light fantastic out on a dance floor, but they would set the mood for the evening at home with music on the stereo. And I remember the romance of it all. When I grew up and moved to New York City, I discovered gay country two-stepping nights in Manhattan in the early 1990s. I hadn't ever experienced one-on-one -on -one social dancing as an adult gay man until those country music-filled nights. The line dances came fairly easy to me, but I was especially enamored by the partner slow dances. I never learned how to lead very well, but I could follow, and we'll just leave it at that. I found it so romantic to move to music while holding another man. After moving to Los Angeles to be with my husband, I tried to get him to go dancing at Oil Can Harry's in Studio City, just a few blocks from our first apartment. But he had been teased some years before about his dancing, unfairly so, and he'd become somewhat bashful about it. So I would teach him the basics in our living room. Slow, slow, quick, quick, slow, slow, quick, quick. He was a quick learner, but he never got up the nerve to get out and bust a move on the dance floor in public with me. Those romantic moments in our apartment living room would wind up being the full extent of dancing with my hubby, although he does spontaneously dip me every now and then. So it comes as no surprise the new music video from handsome country artist Cameron Hawthorne, titled Dancing in the Living Room, led me to some oh-so-familiar and very romantical territory. Both the song and the video are disarmingly charming. The video is a tribute to romance and intimacy among all types of couples, straight, gay, older, younger, all of them finding a moment with each other and the music in their living room. Hawthorne's vocals are confident and heartfelt, and the production is top-notch and authentic. And speaking of authentic, this release is Cameron's coming out letter to his fans. The final scene of the video finds the country crooner himself coming home to his boyfriend and connecting as they sway together in time to the music. Inspired by the message that love is love, Cameron says, quote, For me, and for so many others, that message is beyond important. It's a simple message, but it needs to be told right now in the world we live in. Cameron says, after years of avoiding writing about romantic love in his music while living a closeted life, quote, I finally decided I needed to record and release this as a part of my journey. And like music that's universally compelling, it seems to me he's experienced some of the same thing I did with my guy. He says, quote, I remember always thinking how special it was to dance freely with my boyfriend in the living room of our apartment. Being gay, it's not as easy to dance as a couple in public together as it is for a straight couple. I wanted to express how special that moment is for a couple when it's just the two of you in the privacy of your own four walls. Due to the conservative nature of the majority of country music fans, it's not often I get tipped to gay country artists although I have featured the very talented Patrick Massey and Drake Jensen here on The Randy Report. 
With their successes, along with other out artists like Nashville's Shelley Wright and Ty Herndon, here's hoping the doors open that much wider for the next generation of worthy out country artists like Cameron Hawthorne. I like, and I think you will too. And that brings me to the end of this episode of The Randy Report. If you enjoy catching up on LGBTQ news in a quick podcast, I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't mind sharing The Randy Report with your friends. I like to think of this podcast as the 60 minutes of gay news, only shorter. And remember, you can find me every single day on the internet at therandyreport.com, where I cover the daily news cycle regarding politics, pop culture, and entertainment news of interest to the LGBTQ community. I'll close with Cameron Hawthorne's Dancing in the Living Room. Remember, if we want to see our lives reflected in pop culture, we need to support it. If you hear something you like on The Randy Report, I'd ask you to consider heading over to iTunes or Amazon and buy it. That $1.29 helps artists create and reflect more of our lives. Thanks for listening, folks. See you next time. 10 p.m. We're here again After a bottle of red
in it. 